Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Come on, can we give God one more shout of praise? He's good. Come on. How we feeling, church? Good morning, Victory Life. How we doing? Come on, can, you can be seated. Can we uh, welcome our church family tuning in online? Thank you for joining us. My wife is one of those at home right now online. I've got two little ones who are not feeling well. So uh, she's there. And uh, but So Cheryl, I love you. And I know you always want to be here. And she always tells me, she's like, you know, I always have to listen to you at the house. And so whenever my dad preaches, she's like, it's nice. I don't have to listen to you preach to me. You know, so uh, is that why she's not here? Um, but hey, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for joining us. And I don't know if you're new or fairly new or you just showed up or maybe you were walking around and you saw a church and you showed up. I, I know somebody that just w- walked around one day and just walked into our office and said, I'm here. I said, why are you here? I said, because I was walking and I saw a sign. And like, you saw a sign? Was it, what kind of sign? Like, was it from God? Was it in the clouds? And he said, no, you're a sign out in the grass. This is Victory Life Church. And so he showed up here. So, um, man, it's good to be here. And uh, I don't know if maybe you got your Bibles in here. Would you open up to the book of Esther? I was uh, working at every Tuesday. I, I spend time studying at, at the, the great coffee shop, Starbucks. Um, and if you don't like Starbucks, find me another place that I can go to. Uh, but I was there and I, I kind of spend my time there working on Tuesdays studying. And I had to clarify to my friend one time because he called me one day and he said, hey, my wife and I, we want to help you out and give you some a little extra income and some, some maybe a job opportunity for you. And I'm like, job opportunity for me? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, you, you have to work every Tuesday at Starbucks and maybe the church doesn't pay you enough. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait I, don't, I, don't work at, I don't work at Starbucks. I study at Starbucks. Um, but it's great, man. I love, I don't know about you, but I love just getting out. I, I can isolate myself in a room and s- sit there and study and pray, but I love just being around people. And you, you may say, I get, I get so distracted. I do. I have ADD and ADHD. I get crazy distracted. I've got two shots of espresso that I'm, you know, downing. So I get very distracted, but I love it because I get to talk to people. And every time I'm at Starbucks and my Bible's open, somebody, almost every week, somebody says, is that a Bible? And I'm like, well, yes, it is. And then we just start talking about Jesus. So I love being out there. But um, I always see this pastor friend of mine who also pastors a local church. And every Tuesday we see each other. It's just like the common thing, like got my coffee, Bible, fist pump, like let's go. And, and it just so happened that the only chair available when he walked in was next to me. And so we're sitting there talking. I'm asking him, hey, what, what's your church going through? What are you guys studying? And he, they're, they're going over things about forgiveness and talking about forgiveness. And then he asked me, he's like, well, what's your church going through? And I didn't even say anything. I just opened up the book, the page uh, 416. And I showed him and I said, I said, this is the book we're going through. And he gasped. He said, no, no way. And I said, yeah. He said, you just like plan to do that now? And I'm like, bro, we're in chapter seven. (laughs) This has been planned since November, 2022 to go through this book at this time. How crazy is that church? And so I'm sitting here asking God and I'm telling my dad, Lord, what do you, what do you have for VLC? I don't think this is necessarily a timely message today. This isn't like a word that's going to change your life. I think this walking through this book at this time might, it might change your perspective on things. And so I'm asking God, what do you want? You've, you've called VLC to walk through this book of Esther at this specific time with what's going on over in the nation of Israel. What do you want us to know? That's what I'm praying. What do you want us to know? What do you want us to do? We're receiving this right now, and there's, it's for a purpose and for a reason. So what do you want us to know? Because uh, who would have thought that we would be looking at headlines where things of the nature of kill the Jews, annihilation for the Jewish people. I mean, this is things we're reading right here in this book. And I love this book because it's a beautiful book of, of, of history. It's a, it's a book of, of, of beauty, but it's a, a book of... It's a prophetic voice of history repeating itself about a a race that is going to be eliminated. And there's one person who's now put in a position to make a difference and to stop it. And this is where we, this is where we pick up in in chapter seven. And so if you, uh, if you're with us and 
you haven't been with us, I'll give you a quick recap in a second. But if you're joining us, this is like, this is like episode five of the show that you watch. Episode five, right? We've hit the first four episodes and we're now in chapter seven and eight. I'm gonna try to do my best to get through eight, but it's hard getting through seven. But we're on episode five. And the title of this episode is Justice Served, Hope or Honor Given and Hope Released. Justice Served, and that's a, that's a long title, this is a lot. I could have just said, there's three points here. Justice Served, Honor Given and Hope Released. But there is about to be hope released to the people. The enemy thought he had them. But God said, those are my people. Those are my people. And so, Father, we pray one more time before we read your word that, God, you would do only what you can do. Would you reveal things to us that, uh, that we had not known about this book? Would you teach us things that we can learn and discover to not just be better students, but to be better responders, how we can respond to the situation, how we can not just pray, but what, what can we do, Father? What can we do as a church? What can we do as a family? What can we do as an individual in this room? You may be thinking, man, there's, there's not much for me to do, but God, what, what, it, what is it that you want us to do? Can you show us that? Can you reveal us something for us? And as always, we, we pray that as we read your word, as it begins to shape us, it begins to mold us, it begins to correct us, it begins to convict us, God, we'd understand that it's not to bring shame, but it's to bring hope. That you're always calling us to something better. You're always calling us to something bigger. And so we worship you, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, let me give you just a, a brief recap of the book of Esther. If you got, the, if you got your Bibles, um, we're gonna be in chapter seven, but it's 100 years after the Babylonian exile, and here the remaining Jews, or a lot of them are in this city of Susa, which is the ancient capital of Persia, and they're trying to figure out how to, you know, do I, do I continue to do all that I've done for all these years, but I'm being persuaded and, and, and told to compromise by a wicked king of Babylon, and there's this wicked king, and that, the wicked king happens to be looking for a new wife, and he does some beauty pageant contests and uprises this girl named Esther, this Hebrew girl. And Esther is given favor, and she's picked to be the next queen. Now, nobody knows that she's Jewish. She's just picked to be this, this next queen. She's, in fact, going by her Persian name, which is Esther. Now, as Esther becomes queen, there's this plot that thickens. This weapon has been formed. There's this man by the name of Haman who, who, who uh, gets elevated into to a position. He doesn't really deserve it, and people know that he doesn't really deserve it, so they don't really want to worship him or bow down to him, but the king says you have to worship and bow down, so everybody does except one man. The man is also a Jewish man. The man is the cousin of Esther, and the man's name is Mordecai. And so Mordecai would not bow to Haman, and Haman gets upset, and he says, I, I don't only hate you, but I hate all your people. And so I'm not just gonna kill you, but I'm gonna kill all your people. But then he decides, you know what? Let's just start by killing him first. And so he erects this gallow, this, this 75-foot pole that he's going to impale Mordecai on. And he's pumped about this plan. He's excited about this plan. He's going to kill this man who will not bow to him. And so he goes to tell the king about his plan. And the king's going to be excited about this plan because the king's already signed off on the edict to kill all of these people. But how many know that God is working behind the scenes? Even when we don't see it, God is working. Even when we don't see it, he's up to something. He's moving. And the night before, he wakes the king up. The king can't sleep. The king opens up some book, and he's looking at all the things that he's done. He's looking at all the things that have, that have been done in the city. And he reads about a story of somebody sparing his life. There was an assassination attempt on the king, but one man caught it, said something about it, and saved the king. And his name was Mordecai. And the king's like, why haven't I honored this man Mordecai? Why am I waking up in the middle of the night? Why, is, why am I going to this story, discovering about this man that I forgot about? I thought we honored him, but I guess we haven't honored him. And so he's like, I gotta honor him. Man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna parade him through the streets. And the king's probably thinking, man, I gotta tell, I gotta tell somebody. I'm gonna go tell my chief officer, which is Haman. I'm gonna go tell him about what we're gonna do with Mordecai. And this is, I'm telling you, it's like a movie because as the king's sitting here thinking, I gotta go find Haman, Haman's over here thinking, I gotta go find the king. And, and Haman bangs on the door and the king opens it up and they're both like, hey, I gotta tell you something. And it's that moment where it's like, no, you go first. 
And I know you go first. No, you go first. And the king's like, I'll go first because I'm the king. Um, you know, like, well, we're going to honor this man because he's done so, so many great things. And the king asks Haman, he's like, what should we do for a man who deserves all this honor? And Haman's like, oh, the, the king's going to honor me. This is my dreams come true. This is, this is the best right here. Like, Haman is going to be honored. And he's like so excited. And he's like, give him everything, king. And the king's like, yes. And um, the king says, do you remember that guy named Mordecai? And Haman's, Haman's probably like, you know, uh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to, and he's like, hold up, before you say anything, let's honor Mordecai. And so now Haman is, I mean, it's just, it's, you think this is something written by J.R.R. Token, but no, it's God, and it's way better than J.R.R. Token, right? And, and Haman uh, has to go parade the guy he was going to kill around a city, and he's, he's humiliated. He's completely embarrassed. And before he can even have time to think about what's going on, before he can even have time to consider whether he wants to continue this plan or not, the king's officials come and they grab him and take him to a banquet because there's a second banquet that Esther has put on because Esther's plan all along was to tell the king about Haman. And she had a first banquet and then she's inviting them back to the second banquet. So Haman is now entering what is going to be known as his death sentence. Let's pick up in Esther chapter seven. I'm gonna read a little bit, talk, and read and talk. Is that okay? We're gonna try and, we're gonna try and read a lot. Um, Esther seven, verse one. It says, so the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther, and as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, and I just, I, I love this because it's like, who's in charge here? Esther's in charge. It's like, she's the queen, didn't have a lot of respect, but she's the queen and she's in charge. It's like, God is like, hey, just trust me. I'll put, I'll put you in charge. Just trust me. Now she's the one setting the scene. She's the one setting the conversation. It's not the king or it's not Haman. So the king asks, he says, Queen Esther, what is your, what is your petition? Because it will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it'll be granted to you. Just, just ask me, Esther. I'll be, I'll be generous with you. And here's where we're going to sit on for a little bit. Esther's petition and Esther's request. She says, if I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, would you grant me my life? This is my petition. And would you spare my people? This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction. They've been sold to be killed. And they have been sold to be annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. This is so beautifully crafted. I mean, you have to understand that she could die if she says anything she's not supposed to say. She could be killed on the spot if she messed up or if she didn't please the king or say what his itching ears wanted to hear. So she's very conscious of what she is presenting. She's very aware of what she is bringing. And if she was not clear, then her and her people could have been killed. And this is, this is I just want to say this. She could have memorized this and she, she may have, but I think what she put over the memorization was the meditation. You know, there was a lot of fasting going on. And yeah, we don't read that there was prayer, but I got I to be honest, it probably was prayer there. I think about us, when we, when we want to say things or we want to do things, it's really easy to say, God, this is exactly what I'm going to say. This is how I'm going to say it. And then you go to say it and there's no really heart behind it because you haven't prayed up. There's been a lot of memorization over my response. There's been a lot of memorization over my ask because a lot of us, man, we love to go to our boss and say, I need a raise. And so we memorize exactly what we are going to say. But have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? I really believe what Luke chapter 12 says, to not be anxious about how we defend ourselves and what we should say, because the Holy Spirit will step in and the Holy Spirit will teach us what we are to say and how we are to pray. You remember Moses, when God said, Moses, I want you to go and speak to Pharaoh and save all my people. Moses is like, you want me to speak? If you don't know, Moses has a stuttering problem. Moses is like, I can't speak. You know what God says? This is in Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter four. You know what God said to Moses when Moses said, man, I, I, can't, I can't speak. You don't, don't use me, God. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gonna be the one to speak eloquently. You know what God says? He says, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? So 
Some of you are thinking, God, I can't be used. I can't use my hands. I can't use my feet. Who made your feet? Who made your mouth? Who made your hands? Who gave you that talent? Who gave you that knowledge? God, I can't use this. It's not, it's not going to be that great. You're calling what I gave you not great. I gave it to you. God said to Moses, he said, I gave you your mouth and I will teach you what to say. He said, I'll be your mouth. Come on, I think some of us today just need to give up all that we're doing and say, God, would you be my hands? Lord, would you be my mouth? Would you be my feet? Would you be the pen that I'm writing because I can't? Would you be the sales pitch in my mouth because I can't do it, do a great job as you? Would you be my mouth? God says, Moses, I'll be your mouth. So this, this request by Esther, I want, to notice, I want you to notice two things in this. And the first is the very last word in the middle of chapter four, and it's the word annihilation. She, she goes to the king and she presents her request. She presents her petition. She says, we're gonna be um, destroyed, we're gonna be slaughtered, and we're gonna be annihilated. Now that word annihilation in the Hebrew means to perish. It doesn't mean to be persecuted or to be imprisoned or to be tortured. This isn't what, this isn't what Esther's bringing to the king because if she was bringing that to the king, it may not have faced the king and he may not have thought anything of it because if she would have said, which is, she says in verse four, if, if it were enslavement, I wouldn't have brought this to you, but, but king, this is not enslavement. This is complete annihilation. And she's quoting the words that Haman used in chapter three when he, when he said, we will annihilate these people. Now, let me get into what's going on today. Can I tell you the words of Haman are the same words being used by the terrorist group Hamas? It's the same exact thing. And many of the Jewish people would say what Haman could not accomplish, Hamas has sworn to fulfill. Now, there's no hatred like Jew hatred. It's, it's exterminationist. There is no, let's persecute them, let's torture them, let's imprison them. No, this group has been hated, like many other groups have been hated. We've seen that with racial groups, with ethnic groups, with religious groups, but, but this hater seeks to exterminate. This hater seeks to destroy. This hater seeks to end an entire race. And can I just say this today? I know we're seeing a, a bunch of people even in our nation rise up and they're waving around this, uh, this spirit of Hamas, this idea that you know, we're, we're for them and there's justice and, 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 and we're on their side. Can I just say this? If you are pro-Hamas, then you might as well be pro-Nazi. And if you're pro-Hamas, then if you would have been alive at this time with Esther, you would have been on Haman's side and said, we might as well just destroy all these people. So we have to be careful who we're siding with, and we have to know what's really truth and what's not truth. And I know we're very deceived, but this is why we have to have ears like, like Jesus. We have to have eyes like Jesus. We have to have a discerning heart like Jesus. Lord, show me in your word what is truth and what is not. Now, it would have been easy for Esther to stay where she was and do what she wanted to do and just let this people group die. But the problem is, is that she was one of them. And so she had to say something. And it wasn't, listen, if we were sold as slaves, then, you know, so be it. We've been enslaved before. God will get us out of that. But what's being told is a complete annihilation. What's being told is a complete destruction. What's being told is we're all going to be slaughtered. And to be honest, I don't really think that, that, that the king may have just so much cared about um, whether they were annihilated because he didn't really know who was being annihilated. But this is why I want you to notice the very first thing she says when she includes herself in the equation. The king may not have cared about the Jewish people. But she says, I and my people. She has not revealed yet that she was a Jew. She didn't tell the king that she was Jewish. Haman didn't tell the king, if you, if you go back to, to, to Esther chapter three, Haman didn't tell the king that he was wanting to kill all the Jewish people. If you look in verse eight of chapter three, Haman says to King Xerxes, he says there's a certain group of people. This certain people dispersed among the peoples. They've got their own customs but I'll tell you what, they do not obey your law. And the king says in verse 11, he says, do with the people as you please. So the, so the king was not aware of who he was sentencing. 
when he was told, again, the devil is a liar. And the devil will convince you to believe something that is not true. And the devil will convince you to do something that you should not do. He has no idea who he's sentencing to death. He's given, he's given permission to Haman to kill all the Jewish people. But I'll tell you what, who he did care about was Esther, was the queen. Esther, knowing that he cared about her, included herself in the scenario. She attached herself, the one thing the king cared about, to the equation. And then we see here the king's response. And I want you to know that this could have gone one or two ways. You, you remember a couple weeks ago when Pastor Don was here, he talked about the, the gold scepter, right? And in order for um, anybody to speak in front of the queen, they had, to be, they had to be given the gold scepter. That means that you now can speak. And if you're not given the gold scepter, you're killed. So she was given the gold scepter and she brought about this banquet. And here she is about to present her petition, about to present her request to the king. Talk about the bravery and the courage of Esther. Yeah, we know that Esther wasn't perfect. And this is a story, again, of God using ordinary people, imperfect people, to fulfill God's perfect plan, to fulfill God's purposes. But we have to talk about the courage and the bravery of Esther because the king could have said, oh, wait, you're, you're one of those people? Haman? Get her out of here. In fact, execute her on the spot. And this is why what we bring to God has to be wrapped in meditation, has to be wrapped in prayer. And so, so, so what she's bringing to, to the king could either kill her or it could save her. And look at his response in verse five. He says, who is he? And where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? What monster would try to kill my wife? He wasn't concerned about the people. Was, was, was King Xerxes a, went out to save the, the children of God? No, he's a wicked king. But was he out to save his bride? Husbands and wives, you know this. Somebody steps into your territory tries to divide you, you know how you're making a stance. I mean, we make stances for people, we, we, we fight for people, but when somebody tries to attack my family, oh, it's a whole different story. You've just entered in to the gates of hell. That's what I, I don't say hell, but I just, you know, you've entered, like you, you're, you're fighting for me, I'm gonna give you that. You're fighting to divide me, and so I have to, I have to assume that, that King, King Xerxes is, is, is not a believer, but he's sitting here saying, that's my wife. Was what my dad used to tell us when we were little and we'd yell at mom or disrespect mom. He'd be like, that's my wife before she's your mom. And I'm like, oh, I hate that. And now I say that to my, to my kids all the time. Like, like, that's my wife. You, 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 get in, you get in between us. And um, let me find out where, where I'm at. So, so he rises up and he says, what, what monster would try to kill, um, kill my, my queen? Because he knew that, the, that, that, that Esther was not just married to him, but that's all he wanted to be with and wanted to be around. And when the enemy steps in and tries to divide that, he's like, all right, okay, now, now I'm making a stance. Little did he know he'd be making a stance for an entire race, an entire nation. I'm trying to look at where I'm at. And I, I, I found myself, guys, I, I apologize. I'm like, where, where am I going? Um, here we go. Yeah, ver verse, verse eight. Not verse eight, verse, uh, verse, verse five and six. Here we go. He says, what, what king uh, or what, what man would do this? And Esther said, it's the adversary, the adversary. It's the enemy. It's this vile. And she, she points to who? Remember a couple weeks ago when I read the, the name of Haman, everybody had to what? Had to boo. So she points to the, the adversary and the enemy. And it's this man named Haman. Everybody booed. I mean, and what does the scripture say? It says that he was terrified before the king and queen, terrified, trembling. I remember when I was in middle school and in the gym, going to this kid who was twice my size and I, I wasn't a bully, I was just being stupid. And I thought it would be funny because I had some friends of mine who were not concerned about my soul convinced me that this would be funny. And you know, and uh, I went, I went to, behind him and I, and I dropped his drawers. I pantsed him in the gym. Now he had his underwear on so he wouldn't, wasn't butt naked, but I, I pantsed him. And, 
And uh, I didn't think that this guy would try to kill me. <laughs> you know, I was like, this would be a funny joke and he would laugh about it. In middle school, you don't laugh about that stuff. And he chased me out of the gymnasium and you know where I ran? You know how guilty I was? I ran directly to the principal's office. I ran right to the principal's office. Like, Here I am, chain me, you know, I'm guilty. Um, but what I knew is that how are they gonna, how are they gonna know I did it? You know, like that. my mom works at the office too. I think, Mom, you remember this. this you remember this. And I'm running to the office, and this kid comes running behind me, and I'm like, ha, you can't get me now. And so we're sitting there, and uh, he says what, what happened, and I'm like, I mean, like, I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm a, my mom works here, and I'm a pastor's kid, and this is a Christian school, so, you know, I'm free by grace. And uh, so all of a sudden, they're all gathering up in this corner. I'm sitting there in the office. They're gathering up in this corner, and they're looking at some, something. I'm like, what's going on? Well, they had just installed security cameras at my school. And they're looking, and I'll never forget, and I share this because I, I identify for a moment with, with Heyman for a second, because they're looking and they see what's going on and then, and then I get the finger, right? And then it's like, that kid right there. I mean, listen, I, I trembled, fell to the ground. I apologized. I had to write this kid's family a letter. I had to show up to their house. I got suspended from school. I mean, it was one of like the worst things I've, I've ever done. And, and by the way, we're... Now we're friends, and he's forgiven me. He's still twice my size, so I uh, will never, ever do that again. Uh, but think about Haman. Like, this man is called out. And sometimes, as believers, it's good to be called out. It's good to get that finger pointed at us at occasions because it kind of reminds us of what not to do. But this man, clearly here, there's no hope for him. No hope for Haman. The man wanted to kill an entire uh, Jewish race. He wanted to kill them all, annihilate them. All because of one man would not bow. One man would not bow. Now, we know where he's come from. Remember, Haman has, is, is an Agagite. So he's come from that line of hatred of the Jewish people for all these years. And here he is again. That spirit is stick, still around. But now, the finger's pointed at him. And what does, he, what does he do? So look at verse six. Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage and he left his wine. I love how they just include that in there. He's like, you know, put, set that down. Let me go scream for a little bit. And he, he goes out to the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, he stayed behind, what does it say, to beg Queen Esther for his life. He begged. Isn't it interesting that all of this started back in, back in chapter uh, back in chapter three with one Jewish man who would not kneel to Haman. And all of a sudden, now what we're seeing is one man, Haman, kneeling to a Jewish woman. God is turning things around. That's what started this whole thing. A man on the floor, not willing to, to stand or rise. And now here we are in this story, a man prostrate on the floor, begging for his life, asking for him to be spared. I mean, what, what does he think is going to happen? Now, I want you to notice a couple things here, because God is turning this, this around. But again, look at, the, look at the bravery, because Esther is here, and I'm going I'm to kind of go back to this bravery thing for a moment. Esther's here thinking, listen, again, this can go one or two ways. I could die or I could be saved, and possibly the people be saved. But she steps in here having no idea how the king would respond. She, she could have stayed quiet, but it was the constant ringing of the cries of her people that moved her. It was the constant noise of the suffering in the city that moved her. It was the cries of her cousin that moved her. Can I ask you, church, what, what is moving you? to be brave and to be courageous. Go back to 9-11. and 182,000 people signed up to serve our military after 9-11 because they were moved by what they saw. Now, they, they were moved in, in somewhat of a different way, but they were moved because of what they saw, innocent lives being taken. You better believe the Jewish people were, were praying. They were fasting. We know that. They were weeping. You better believe being Jewish that they were praying. And asking, God, would you save us? God, would you do something? Would you bring salvation? God, you, 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 you've put somebody in the, in the throne room of the king. How crazy is that at this time, God, you've put somebody in that place. Would you do something? Would you turn things around, God, or we are all dead? 
And I wonder today as we see things, as we're watching things on the news, I, I, have, to, I have to get off Twitter. I gotta turn it off because it's like the things that I see, I can't even think. I can't even continue the rest of my day. I mean, we saw the headlines, 40 babies killed and many beheaded. And we're, you know, we're over here, we have a church service and you know, we're gonna go have fun and we're gonna go watch some football today. And, uh, and sure, I'm not saying you can't do those things, but are you not being moved by what you're seeing? Queen Esther is clearly being moved by what she's hearing, even though if she takes a stance, not only is she gonna lose her job, but she could be killed. But it's important because this is the people of God. Are we saying the same thing, church? This is important for us to make a stance, for us not just to pray, but to do something. God, what is it that you want us, what is it you want us to know? And can I be honest, as one of your pastors, you know what my flesh is telling me right now? My flesh wants vengeance. My flesh wants to kill. This is my flesh speaking. Can I say that? I'm just trying to be honest up here. This is my flesh. I'm watching these things and I'm like, oh my goodness. But my spirit begs to pray. My spirit says, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? Well, it's too late Jacob, because it's, people have already died. And I don't know if you heard recently, they've, they've killed one of the leaders of Hamas. So it's like, oh, great, great, we've, we've, we've ended this. We are far from ending this. Because their goal, again, Hamas, was never to just kill a thousand plus people on one day on October 7th. Their goal wasn't just to raid some event to kill some innocent people who were dancing and singing. Their goal is to annihilate the Jewish race. That is their goal. Are they gonna stop when they've killed a thousand? No. And are they gonna stop because we've killed their leader? No. Can I just read to you what it says in their covenant? The Hamas covenant that was established in 1988. Let me just read uh, two statements. This is the opening statement of the Hamas covenant. This is a quote. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it. Just as it obliterated others before. That's literally what it says in their covenant, okay? Um, go a little bit further. This is the introduction of the Hamas covenant. This is what it says. Our struggle against the Jews is very great and very serious. Our struggle against the Jews. This is what they're saying. It needs all sincere efforts. It is a step that inevitably should be followed by other steps. The movement, speaking about Hamas, is but one squadron that should be supported by more and more squadrons from this vast Arab and Islamic world until the enemy is vanquished and Allah's victory is realized. Now, is this what all the Palestinian people are saying? No, no I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, putting them all in one, one category. No, that's not true. There are, good and, there are good and bad on both sides, and there are good on the bad side. But this is, this is an organization that is out to annihilate all the Jewish people. Now, you may be thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not Jewish, so they're not after me. Well, that's, that's false as well. You look at Article 31. I don't have this on the screen, but this says any religion including Christianity that does not recognize the sovereignty of Islam and does not fear Allah is an enemy of Hamas that will face complete destruction. Their goal was never just to end the people worshiping on Saturday. They're gonna start there and then they're gonna go to the people worshiping on Sunday. Now, I don't say this to bring fear. I say this to know who you believe in, know what you believe in, know that God is good and God is greater than any enemy out there. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So I don't want to bring you, I don't want to bring fear, but don't just think, oh, we've killed a couple of guys. We're done. We're good. Let's go. Let's, let's hoorah. No, this is still going to go on and they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop with the Jewish people. They're going to continue on and we can wipe out as many leaders as we want, but that spirit of Haman, that spirit of the Nazis, that spirit of Hamas will continue. It might just be under another name. And so, so, so what are we doing? God, what do you want me to know? How can I not just sit and watch, but how can I do something? God, would you put people in a place that can do something? And, and, and Esther, there is a woman in a position to finally do something. And does she do it? She does. She's brave. She's courageous. Church, we need some more brave and courageous women. Come on, women of God in our church, in our communities, in our homes. And here we have a great example of one who is brave, who is courageous, 
who isn't, isn't responding in fear, isn't responding in emotion. She's not responding in vengeance, but she's responding that's, that's been wrapped in meditation, that's probably been wrapped in prayer. This is her response. God, I only want to say what you want me to say. God, I only want to do what you want me to do. I love what Proverbs 16 verse three says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your what? Your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Come on, if that doesn't just encompass the book of Esther right there. Commit to the Lord. That word commit in Hebrew is the word roll. God, as I work, I roll my work to you. I, I roll it over to you, God. As I try to work for my family, I roll it over to you. As I try to work for my business, I roll it over to you. If I try, as I try and work for this marriage, I roll it over to you. Because if you want success in your work, make sure your work aligns with God's truth. God, I don't want to work if it's not with you. I don't want to work if it's not for you. And so anything that I do, anything that I say, God, I commit it to you. It doesn't mean that you uh, plan it and think about it and then shoot it over to God. It, that means you, that you do it, and as you do it, you are giving it to God and not saying, God, now you do the work, and I'll just sit around and watch. It's an active, it's an active commitment. It's a constant rolling. God, I'm, I'm wanting to, to do only what you want me to say and do, and I feel like this is, what Esther's, this is what Esther's proclaiming. I've got to speak this the right way. I've only got one chance. I've got one chance. And the king makes up his mind. He says, who would do this? She says, Haman. Look, look at verse, uh, let me get back to this verse eight, second part of verse eight, or first, first part of verse eight. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in this house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbana, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said a gallows 70 feet, uh, five feet high stands at Haman's house. By the way, king, um, I know you're talking about killing him. Um, we just discovered that there's, there's, a, there's a 75 foot pole that was gonna be used to kill somebody. It's already ready. Like the weapon that formed to kill somebody, we don't know who, um, is, is, is here and it's ready to kill Haman. God is turning things around. What the enemy used for evil, God is using for justice. God is using for good. And so uh, the king's like, great, we already got it. Impale him on it. Let's kill him. And the people cheer and the crowd erupts with praise and everybody shouts, go God. Verse one of chapter eight. Then that same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed him Haman's estate. This is, you ever heard of uh, you reap what you sow? Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Galatians 6, 7, 8, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, it's hard to say, but from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, this is the good news, from the spirit will reap eternal life. And we're, we're seeing right now honor, honor given, right? Justice served, honor given. But sometimes it's nice to see justice served. It, it feels good. And I, and I want to say to the devil, you have no idea what God has in store for you. The enemies of God, the enemies of his people, the enemies of the nation of Israel, you have no idea. They have no idea what's coming for them. No idea. Unless there's repentance, unless, unless forgiveness is, is, is given, they're, they have no idea what's going to happen to them. They don't, they don't want to know. And Haman had no idea that the thing that he built to kill somebody else would be the same thing that would kill him. Impaled on a 75-foot pole for everybody to see. Here's what I've been thinking about. Um, I'll kind of wrap this up and I'll, I'll finish a few more of verses of chapter eight. 
how should we pray? You know, I've been asking like, God, what do you want me to know as a, as a believer, as a Christian? What do you want me to know with what's going on? But also, how do you want me to pray? And should I pray for, for justice for Hamas? Should, I, should Christians pray that God punishes their enemies? I mean, I look at what David said. When I go through the Psalms. I'm, anybody reading through the Psalms right now? Um, I'm reading through the Psalms right now. I'm doing a couple chapters a day and I'm like underlining all these things, especially during this time right now with what's going on of, of all the things that David says and proclaims over his enemies. I'm like, this is some good stuff. He says in, in Psalm 55, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave. Psalm 58, break their teeth in their mouths. Psalm 109, may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Again, David's talking about his enemies that have been pursuing him, the enemies of God, and he's, he's, he's declaring these things. And I'm like, Jesus, can I pray some of these things over my enemies? Um, you know, and I think Jesus would say, if he were here today, he'd say, well, show me your enemies, identify them. And we'd, we'd be like, oh, you are my neighbor over here that always wants to do yard work when I'm throwing parties on the weekends. They're always doing yard works. Or that dog that always, you know, bleeps on my, on my yard every single day. And, and my neighbor, didn't want anything, he doesn't care. And I'm like, can I, um, can I break their teeth in their mouths, God? Would you break, the, you know, like, uh, I mean, again, who's your enemy? Is it your neighbor? I mean, maybe it's all those who are Bills fans. And that's justifiable, right? Like, if you're, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, that makes sense, right? That, God is, is that my enemy? Because it's important for us to know as we pray some of these things, who our enemy is and who we are fighting. And can I tell you, church, I know we'd like to put a face to it. We'd like to put some flesh to it, but our battle isn't against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the rulers and the principalities and the evil forces of this world. That's what we're fighting. That is our enemy. That is who we should hate. That is who we should seek justice. That is who we should pray these things. God, would you break their teeth? Let death take their enemies by surprise. I pray for the, the, the demonic activity that it would go down to the grave alive. These are the things that I'm praying. But here's what the Bible says, Romans chapter 12. We get into the New Testament. Here's, let me just, let me just share this. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone Evil for evil. Yeah, but God, do you see what's going on? Um, well, the Bible says, if, if God were here, he would, he would point to Romans 12, 17 and says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. In fact, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Verse 18, if it is, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Well, God, that's not, that's not always possible. Great, so I can repay any uh, evil for evil? No, no, he's not talking about that. He, he says, do not repay evil you know, for evil, but he does say, if possible, live at peace. So that's what we should, we should desire. Verse 19, and here's the best part, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. God, have all the room you want right here. Have it all. It's all yours. I don't need to do anything, and if I do anything, it's not going to be as good as what you're going to do. So God, all the room is yours. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Here's what one author said. Since we have the cross, our response is to pray down reconciliation, not judgment. Since the cross. Remember, David's time is before the cross. Since the cross, what do we pray down? God, send them fire. Send them death. Send our enemies over there killing innocent people in Israel. Send them, send them fire and send them death. It'd be easy to pray. It'd be easy to ask for. And, and many people are asking for that. They ask for that. But here's as a, as a believer... As a Christian, my response isn't to pray down judgment. My, my response is to pray down reconciliation. Do you notice that Esther does not beg for her enemy to be killed? She could have gone up there and said, King, um, this man is wanting everybody else killed, but my petition and my request is that you kill Haman. That's not, that's not what she says. She doesn't say that. She could have said that. And she could have been perfectly 
justified by saying that. Haman, kill him, king, please, because he's about to kill us. No, she doesn't say that. She just says, would you free us? Would you save me? Would you save my people? And again, God is in control of the response. We are in control of what we are supposed to say. God is responsible for the outcome. So God, I speak what the Holy Spirit is telling me to speak because the Holy Spirit is teaching me what to pray and what to say. And so I'm gonna say it, but I'm gonna trust God that you're responsible for the outcome. You have to trust God that he is responsible for the outcome. What you've been praying for, what you've been asking for, trust God. Don't try and and be God. Because a lot of us, we're great at that. We try and be God. We try and move things around. Give me the chessboard. Remember the chessboard? Um, Let me move that, move that. God doesn't know what he's doing. Let me move that over there. And God's like, what are you doing? Let me be God. Because here's what I know about God. He's way better at being God than I'm at being God. Amen? He's way better at it. He's way better than you as well at being God than you are. So let him be God. Let him control the response. She could have said, okay, save us and kill him. No, no. The king said, okay, I'm going to save you and I'm going to kill him. Great. Wow. Awesome. Thank God that you uh, were, were, were responsible for that. And so she petitions for the salvation of her people. God, spare our people. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it's evil. You don't need to be the one to try and bring all that up. If God gives you a moment to speak, you speak. If you need to make a stance, you make a stance. But God is going to be the one. Don't worry. You may be sitting here thinking, oh, I just wish somebody would say something. I wish that would be seen. I wish that sin would be known. It'll be known. It'll be known. Because every deed God will bring into judgment, including every hidden thing. So back to verse 3 of chapter 8. Haman loses everything, right? Haman thought he'd achieved everything, but he ends up losing everything. He like, he had it all and he ended with nothing. And it's a perfect example of somebody climbing a ladder of success. They get to the top, they look down, they realize they, they climbed the wrong place. They climbed the wrong building. They thought they had it all, but in the end, they really had nothing. It goes on to say in verse, uh, verse three, because there's something very important we have to know. Although the king has saved Esther, and has now killed Haman, there's still an edict out there to kill all the Jewish people. So something now has to be said again. It's like another time. Esther has another opportunity because she could have said, great, I'm free, Mordecai's free, and, and Haman's dead, it's over, great. But it's not over because there's still this edict out there to kill every single Jewish person, to annihilate all them. So in verse three, Esther again, she pleads with the king, Falling at his feet, weeping, she begs him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. And here it is, the king extends the gold scepter. He says, Esther, speak. Verse five, if it pleases the king, and if he regards me with favor and thinks the, the right thing to do, and if he's pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of um, Hamadatha the Agagite devised and wrote to the story uh, to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? So, so yes, we, we see justice being served and we see honor being given to Esther and Mordecai, but what about all the people that have no hope that are going to die? What about those people? And the king responds, you can read it. He says, I, I can't overrule anything that I've made. Once I've signed it and put my ring on it, it's, it is, it's final. And so Esther comes back and she says, write a new one. Write a new one that just tells the Jewish people that they can defend themselves, that they can be ready for this day. You know, we maybe were in some fear about the, the day of jihad that was, supposed, that was happening Friday. This is a day that's happening. The annihilation of the Jewish people is going to take place on the 13th day of the 12th month of the month of Adar. This is going to happen. And Esther's like, just write something else just so we can defend ourselves. Again, she was given favor. Look at verse 11. I'll close with these two verses, three verses. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and to protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate. Wait a minute, I I heard those words before to destroy, kill, and annihilate. 
that came from Haman. And which it really came from the king. And now the king here is saying, here's my order to the Jewish people that they can kill, destroy, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces. Remember, there's 127 provinces that of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month of the month of Adar. A copy of this text of this edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on the day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The devil said, God, I put a death sentence on all these people. What you gonna do about it, God? And God said, I've armed them. I've equipped them. The devil said, I got all these people They're about to be annihilated. And God said, these are my people. Try again. Try again. I mean, this is the greatest story of what the enemy was trying to use for evil. God was like, I'm going to turn it around for good. And although what was meant for destruction is now going to be meant for salvation. What was meant for destruction is now going to be meant for salvation. Can you think with me about anything else in the Bible that the enemy used for destruction that God used for salvation? Let me give you the answer. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross. The enemy said, man, I got you and I got all your people and now the one who was leading you is going to be dead and he's going to be nailed on a cross. He's going to be humiliated. And the enemy thought that he had won. The enemy thought that he had found victory. And many of you can go back to the moments where where you thought the enemy had you as well. But then God showed up and he saved you and he spared you. The enemy thought he had the ringleader, the, 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 the man, the Messiah on the cross, dead. He thought he had him. That cross was meant for destruction. And, and God was like, this is, gonna use, this is gonna be used for salvation. And now for how many years now since that? Christians all around the world, believers all around the world look at that cross much differently. It isn't to bring shame to anybody. It isn't to bring uh, uh, condemnation on anybody, but it's to bring hope. It's to bring hope. The book of Esther is a story about salvation in the middle of darkness, in in the middle of lack of hope. It's about God using people to fulfill his purposes. And that purpose just happened to be the salvation of his people. And I wonder today, if you're in this room, if you're thinking, well, and I can relate to those Jewish people because I'm in a place right now where there's no hope for me. Nothing ever is going to turn around. You talk about things being turned around. Nothing's ever going to be turned around. And can I just, can I just tell you this morning that I don't know what you think about God or how far you think he is from you and how he didn't love you and didn't do anything for you. And he is madly in love with you. The scripture says he loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross so that you could be saved. That's how much he loves you. Could you die for somebody right now? If you could, you'd, you'd be madly in love with them. Yeah, maybe I could do it for my wife and my kids. I don't know if I could do it for everybody. I'd like, I hope that I could, if I was in that situation, if I really loved you, I, I would do it. But God said, I loved you all. Even if you don't believe, even if you don't believe, I'm still going to die for you. That's the greatest example of the enemy thinking that he had God. And God said, man, I've had this all in my hand all along. He's got you in your hand. Would you stand up all across this room? Let me, let me pray for you. I, I just wonder if there's anybody here who's, who's struggling because they, there's a lack of hope. And, and maybe you're here thinking, man, there's... God can't do anything in my life anymore. It's all done. There's nothing that he can turn. He can't turn it around. There's no hope for me. Well, he has a plan for you. He has a plan to prosper you, a plan to make you successful, a plan not to harm you. That's what he gave the, the nation of Israel. He, he gave them that promise. And so I, 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 believe, I believe that too. Like God doesn't want us to walk in condemnation. God doesn't want us to walk in sin. God doesn't want us to walk in abandonment. God doesn't want us to walk in fear. He wants you to walk in faith. And you can't walk in faith because you've been living in fear this whole time. 
And so maybe today you just need to shout out loud and say, God, I believe. God, I believe. I don't necessarily know all that I believe, but God, I believe you. I believe you, and I believe that he'll begin to show you. God, I believe you. I believe you sent your son for me, that you died on a cross so that all of my sin, all of my shame would be forgiven. God, I, I, I believe in that. I believe that you went to the grave and you rose again on the third day. God, I believe in that. I believe that you ascended to heaven and you sent with us a helper, the Holy Spirit. God, I, I believe in that. I declare that. God, I, I believe that. But here I am, Father. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to honor you. But I'm stuck with a mess. And God, I need you to intervene. You've done it before. I believe you can do it again. God, I need you to intervene. If that's you again, would you just, just lift your hands, maybe open up your hands and say, God, I need you to turn things around. God, I need you to turn things around. Like you did in the book of Esther, I need you to turn things around. Turn things around in my situation, God. I'm, I'm praying for breakthrough in my situation, Father. I'm praying for deliverance in my situation, God. I'm praying that you would show up and bring restoration in my situation right now, Father Jesus. Yes. God, my hope is in you. My hope is in you, Jesus, and nothing else but you. Yes. Come on, worship Him in this side of your people. So Lord, show us what to do. Turn some things in our hearts around, in this church. But God, even in our situation, would you turn some things around right now, Jesus? Right now, Father, we worship you. Sing God, turn it around. Come on. God, turn it around. Yeah. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around.
Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.